always an honor to be sharing the Word of God. I love sharing the Word of God. I don't uh, love preparing, but I love sharing. <laughs> but it's all part of the process. Um, I, I just love volunteering, eh? Love serving in church. Love seeing people serve. And, and really, that's just an outworking of, of the love of God in our hearts. And, you know... Uh, it, it, the Bible does say, like Rico was saying, to love God and love people. And, and as we receive more and more of His love in our heart, we'll be compelled to want to let that love flow. And that comes in the form of volunteering and serving a lot of the times. Um, so this morning, I'm going to continue on the series called Revealing Jesus. Um, we've seen that a few people, a few of the team have um, continued that along, which has been really good, and hearing the different views and perspectives and the flavors of, of the Gospel of John. Um, and I hope you've been following and hearing about, uh, uh, following the Gospel of John and hearing about the character and, and the ways of Jesus and the way that John uh, puts it. Um, and today we're up to chapter 7, and uh, up until now, Jesus has been revealed in so many different ways in the last six chapters. And uh, we've seen that Jesus has been revealed as God himself. He has been revealed as the Word made flesh, revealed as the creator of all things in heaven and in earth. We see that Jesus has been revealed as the light of the world. He is the eternal life giver, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And all who believe in him have eternal life in his kingdom. Jesus reveals himself as the living water, the satisfaction of our human thirst, and then the Messiah, the anointed Christ of the Old Testament scriptures. And last week, John and Cena did a great job, and uh, he, he preached from uh, John chapter 6, and where Jesus revealed himself as the bread of life, the great I am, God himself, who fulfills all hunger and all thirst. But even after uh, this amazing revelation... And even after this series of Jesus revealing himself, many people rejected him, which we learned last week. Many people walked away from him. Jesus' teaching made people choose. He got people to a decision point in their lives. Will I choose to believe or will I choose to walk away? And like John said last week, making that choice is not just making a choice to be a follower of Christ, but to be a disciple of Christ. And unfortunately, that choice, it's not an automatic response for anyone. We've all got to work out and decide for ourselves. Every person needs to, to choose themselves whether they want to be a disciple of Christ. And like we see at the end of chapter 6, where Peter the Apostle acknowledged that, that Jesus had the words of eternal life, they chose to believe, they chose to follow, they chose to be discipled by God, by the Holy One of God. Now we move on to chapter 7, and we see different responses, different views of how people, and different opinions of Jesus, and how that people viewed Jesus. And there were three different groups of people, his brothers, the Jewish leaders, and the multitude of people. And we will see that some will believe, some will be indifferent, and some won't believe in an aggressive fashion. And the main question that John provokes the writer in this section is he's saying he's asking a question who is jesus christ who is jesus to you and that's the question that i'll be asking you this morning who is jesus to you 
And it's probably one of the most important questions you're going to be asking in your entire life. So you will see how we see Jesus and how we view Jesus determines our response to him. And I'll leave you with that question as we start off with verse 1. I'm not going to do all of it because I think there's 50, 52 verses. Uh, I'll be taking a lot of uh, our main points out of it. But please feel free to read on your own time. It's such a powerful uh, chapter, and I hope you get a lot out of it today and in your own personal time. So we'll, go, we'll start at John 7, uh, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, and in brackets, for not even his brothers believed in him. So, quite a quite an odd, uh, uh, you know, request. So after Jesus leaves Capernaum, where he left, where he fed the five thousand people, which we read in chapter six, he goes back to his hometown in Galilee, and more than likely in Nazareth, which is a, a town in Galilee, and he actually stays there for six months, preaching, teaching, and healing people, and that's throughout the other gospels that we see, um, and we know this because. The time that he fed the 5,000 at the Passover was six months when the feast actually happened, the Feast of Tabernacles was happening. So that's how you know that Jesus uh, was there for six months. So Jesus' brother had, they'd been, they, his brothers had been hearing Jesus preaching. They'd been hearing, watching Jesus healing. Uh, they'd been watching and seeing and seeing all these things going on. But John the writer says that they were still unbelieving in their heart. They were still unbelieving, and they, they, was, they still had some wrong views about Jesus. See, his brothers were only enjoying his, their physical needs being met, like a lot of the people, uh, the followers were, and they were enjoying watching all the miracles happening in Galilee, but they didn't yet believe that Jesus was their Lord and Savior, or Jesus was even the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was, was the one that would bring eternal salvation and peace to the soul. So after, so they, they offer Jesus some advice. And we, we read that they're offering some advice and they go, Jesus, you need to get some public recognition. You need, you need some, you need, you need some method of someone knowing, people knowing how you are. And you need some publicity methods. And even today, there are plenty of people today that try to find and build their ministry in churches on many different methods of publicity and marketing. And sometimes from the wrong motives and agendas. But these brothers, they seem to want something else. They seem to uh, want some kind of worldly powers or some kind of success. As Jesus became familiar, they would gloat and go, hey, that's my Jesus. You know, that's my brother. And uh, it, it seemed that way. And a lot of the commentaries seemed to pick up on that. And the brothers' advice, it was based on a complete misunderstanding of who Jesus was. Their, their, who they saw Jesus was, was not who Jesus was actually. He was, they didn't see him as the divine man of God. They didn't see him and his overall mission on this earth. See, Jesus, he wasn't even after any recognition of fame. He wasn't even after large crowds following him. He, what, what he was really after was hearts 
and souls to follow him. What he was after was hearts and souls to choose to follow Christ. Hearts and souls that would choose to genuinely repent and follow him and turn their hearts and be disciples of Christ. He was wanting to do the will of the Father, but the brothers thought he wanted something else. Brothers thought he just wanted recognition. See, Christianity is all about Jesus. We have to understand the real Jesus if we want to respond in the right way. We need to understand Jesus of the Scriptures. And whatever ideas that we might have around Jesus, it's important that we align our thoughts and our heart and our mind to the truth and to the complete truth of the Word of God. So I'm going to continue in John 7 uh, verse 6. Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. See, Jesus makes it very clear at this point that his motive is not their motive. He makes it very clear and he makes a firm resolve that he is here to do the Father's will and not the will of anyone else. He is here to do things and do this journey on this earth according to God's timing and not to anyone else's timing. And what we see in this overall interaction with Jesus and his brothers, it's a real sobering truth for many Christians. And, and what you can see is that it's very possible to be close to Jesus, that is to feel his presence. It's very possible to see healings. It's very possible to hear the teachings. And many people do that. But it's very possible too to not trust in Jesus still. It's very possible that we can still feel the presence of God, we can come to church, but it is also very possible that at the same time that we don't truly surrender our hearts to Christ. And this is the, the, the interaction of Jesus and his brothers shows us that, that these guys were close to him. They saw him. They lived around him. They saw everything. But they still yet did not want to believe And it's up to a person to personally want to believe in Christ. And it's up to a person individually to want to believe in his words. And we'll go into John 7, 10 to 13. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, he also went up, but openly, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at a festival and saying, where is he? And there were a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Some were saying, He's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. So we start to see that the tension was starting to build. It was starting to rise. The tension between the Jewish leaders and Jesus, and they wanted to arrest him. See, the Jews hated Jesus because Jesus constantly confronted them. He confronted their their self-righteous and man-made traditions. Jesus threatened their power of trying to control the people. And, you know, like what we see, they had fear. They had fear of the Jewish uh, leaders. And because of all of this, because of this hatred that the Jewish leaders had, they were blind. They couldn't see Christ. They couldn't see Jesus in front of them. They couldn't see beyond this person that was confronting them. They didn't want to see the Jesus of the Scriptures. And they rejected Christ themselves. But Jesus, not under their control, he was under the will of God, 
He continues in John 7, 14. When the festival was already half over, which is a whole one-week festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, How is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? See, the Jewish leaders, they wanted to discredit Jesus. So they put Jesus on the spot and they said, Where are his credentials? I mean, is he a theologian? Does he have a ministry degree? Does he, does he have anything? Who did he study with? Who did he study under? Was it Gamaliel, the, the high priest at the time? Who, where, did he, where did he learn all these things? And the Jewish leaders themselves, they, they thought they were high and mighty because they had all these degrees, all these teachings. They had the best schools, learned under the best teachers. But Jesus, he didn't learn truth from anyone. He didn't learn truth from any sources. He didn't need an education or a degree. He didn't need to learn from philosophers or religious teachers. And Jesus answers, answers them and said in John seven sixteen to 17, Jesus answered, my teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. His teachings came directly from heaven. Powerful. They came directly from the Father in heaven, the creator of all wisdom, the creator of all knowledge and truth. And because Jesus came from God, he had full authority to speak the way he did. Full authority to talk about God, talk about man, talk about sin and eternal life. And then Jesus explains, this is how you know a teaching has come from God or if it's originated from self. And John seven eighteen goes, The one who speaks to on his own seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. See, while Jesus was here on earth, he wanted to glorify the Father. That was his aim. His aim was to glorify the Father in heaven by displaying his character, teaching truth, and performing signs. Jesus consistently focused on the glory of God in everything he did. And this is the same test for every preacher, every teacher, and every believer who is a minister of Christ. Are they seeking to glorify God or are they seeking to glorify themselves? Are there degrees and credentials to exalt self or is it to exalt God? Are there gifts used to build their profile, their brand, or is it used to build God's profile? Is ministry used as a way to self-validate, a platform to, for self-recognition or self-gratification, or is it there genuinely to build a church? Are we truly seeking God to glorify God? Are we truly serving Christ for the right motives? And it's a very good question to reflect on. It's a very good question because Jesus says that the one who seeks his own glory but it, it is not really true, is not really speaking truth, but the one who seeks the glory of God, that person is speaking truth. And Paul says, test yourself. Test yourself against his word. Test yourself against the truth of his word. Test your desires against his truth and submit yourself to his truth. In Psalm 115, it says, 115, I think it's verse 2, 1. It says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory 
because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Our aim is to glorify God in everything we do, in everything we say. And let's continue. So the Jewish leaders prided themselves in keeping the law, but Jesus exposes them. In verse 19 it says, Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? And the crowd at that point didn't know that the Jews were trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus said, I had performed one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise, I'll get to them later, thank you. <laughs> and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I've made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? So if you remember in John chapter 5, Jesus healed the, the disabled man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they went crazy. They were accusing Jesus of, you know, breaking the law on the Sabbath and they wanted to kill him. But yet, they were breaking their own law by circumcising on the Sabbath. And worse yet, they wanted to kill Jesus, which is the commandment number six, that thou shalt not kill. And really, they were being hypocrites. They were being legalistic. And what legalism means is that when a person keeps part of God's word externally so that everyone can notice, but internally not really dealing in their own heart, not really dealing with the sin in their own heart and pointing out everyone else's faults. And it's funny that as Christians, we like to point people's faults sometimes and we like to give the person a nudge and go, well, this person's talking about you. And many times I've been here and I've felt uh, compelled to nudge Lisa and go, this is for you, baby. But it was really for me. (laughs) And many times we like to do that, eh? We like to put the finger on other people. Even though something's convicting us, even though something is really getting to us, we're like, yeah, maybe for that guy, maybe for that person over there, you know? We love to point out faults, don't we? We love to do that. We never look at our own actions. But the thing is, since the Lord knows every private part of our heart, since the, the Lord knows everything, He sees everything, it's foolish for us to try to put on a facade. It's foolish for, for us to try to look righteous on the outward and inside not really dealing with sin. And at the same time, inside we, ne- we neglect all these things. We neglect all these things in our heart like sinful, sinful thoughts, Pride, greed, lust, selfishness, jealousy. So many things are going in our heart, but we try to cover it up and we try to look righteous. I'm talking about me, okay? Others might be impressed of our own self-righteousness. I used to love impressing people when I first started coming to church. It's great. The more I served, the more attention I got. It was cool, you know? And it it really does feed a, a gratification or a validation, But God knows everything. God, they might be impressed, but God is not impressed. God wants the heart. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God shows mercy and love and forgiveness to those who acknowledge their own sin, their own human weaknesses, and come to him in truth. So we continue in John 7, 24. Jesus says, stop judging according to the outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. 
He's saying, judge fairly, judge right. Don't be biased. Okay, make a judgment call, but don't judge the person. Don't judge others when you yourself are doing the same thing. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a legalist. And being that way will eventually cause a person to reject Jesus themselves because Christ can see right through us and we won't be able to walk with him and trust him unless we confront our own sins against his truth. It will eventually cause us to reject Christ because we're hiding. And if you truly believe in Jesus and if you truly trust in his faithful love, you will let his word confront your sin, confront you on a daily basis. And if we want to know who Jesus is and whether he is true and righteous, sent by God, we have to be willing to obey him, obey his word, obey his revealed word, even when we're confronted, even when we're feeling uncomfortable. And I'm sorry if I'm making you uncomfortable right now. Let's continue. John 7, 25 to 20, 27. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he's the Messiah? But we know, there is, we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no, nobody will know where he is from. Some people in Jerusalem were wondering whether Jesus might really be the Messiah. They were starting to think that. They were starting to wonder that. And whether these Jewish leaders were starting to believe that themselves. But then they quickly dismissed all of that because they thought tradition tells us that nobody's going to know the origins of the Messiah. Nobody will know where he come from. So Jesus, he recognizes their confusion and he cries out in verse 28. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, You know me and you know where I'm from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Jesus makes a big statement and he says that the Jews don't know Jesus because they don't know God. And because they don't know God, they don't know Jesus and his origins. I'm hoping I'm making sense. Jesus, indeed, is from an unknown origin. He is. He is not from this world. And here Jesus reveals his true identity. He reveals that his true origin is from heaven. He is the eternal God in human flesh. God, made, God came to make himself personally known to all of us. In John 17, 3, Jesus describes the essence of our life and eternal life as knowing God. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the only way we can know the true God is through Jesus Christ. He reveals himself to us. You see, knowing God will change us. Knowing God will change our heart, will change our mind, will change our character to become more like him. Knowing God will affect our relationships with others. Knowing him will create fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These will become evident in a person's life. 
And the better you know God, the more you know God in your heart, the more effectively you can represent Him in this world. And you can be an ambassador for lost people. The more you personally experience the goodness and the kindness of God, the more you'll be, ready, be readily able and available to desire the praises of Him that calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light, as it says in 1 Peter 2.9. And you can go out and effectively communicate the love of God. So while there are many confused options out there and confused opinions out there about who Jesus is, we need to believe the truth about Christ. And that's John the, Apost- John the Apostle, the writer of the gospel, his main purpose. He writes this so that people can believe with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength, so that people can believe in Christ, come to salvation, and start to communicate the love of God. So the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, they were furious that Jesus was capturing the attention of the crowds. And it said in John 7.30, they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come. Man, that is so good. That is so good that even in the midst of all this going on, even in the midst of the Jewish leaders wanting to kill Jesus, they had all these options of, you know, uh, their, their Roman guard, their, their uh, temple guards to go and get Jesus. In the end, they could not touch Jesus because God is in control. God is in control even in the worst of our situations, even in the midst of situations. No one or nothing can get in the way of God's ultimate plan for Christ and for our lives. God is sovereign above all people. God is sovereign above all things, above and beneath, and it's all according to His timing and to his will. So we're going to skip a few verses where Jesus, he interacts a bit more with the Jewish leaders and it's quite a bit there, so I'd love for you to read it on your own time. And we're going to continue where Jesus cries out to the crowds on the last day. So it's been a whole week, a week-long celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and the last day, this is when the high priest, he goes to, what's it called? Jihon, a fountain called Jihon, he carries back this water in a procession, you know, back down to Jerusalem, to the temple, and uh, he overflows this water in a vessel representing that, you know, the rock uh, in the Old Testament when they're in the wilderness, God created water to come out of a rock. So that's the celebration that they have. However, Jesus saw an opportunity here, and uh, he saw the opportunity of this physical pouring out of water to talk about the living water. In Samaria, if you remember a few chapters beforehand, Jesus communicates and says that he is the living water to this Samaritan woman, and he says it in private. However, here, now he invites all people to drink from him. And we see in John seven thirty-seven to 39. On the last and the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
See, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. After Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended on his believers who are the church. And everyone who believes in Jesus, everyone who believes has this living water, the Holy Spirit dwelling deep within them. And there is an active, and the Holy Spirit is active in the heart and mind of every believer. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that breathes life and teaches the Word of God. The Holy Spirit leads a believer into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads a believer to repentance of sins. And the Holy Spirit changes the heart and mind of a believer, changing the perspective of a person. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes the desires and the passions of a person to be more like Christ. The Holy Spirit will lead people to Christ and the only one that can satisfy human thirst for peace and satisfaction. So if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have received the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed by Christ and you are fit for the kingdom of Christ. You are freely and genuinely able to love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your strength, and you are free to love Christ and his people. But if we continue, if we continue on like any other group of people, and there's a, at that time there's a big crowd, so he's in Jerusalem, there's a huge crowd, not everyone, we start to see not everyone's going to accept the truth. So John 7.40, we go on. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, this is truly the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of Jesus. The crowd, they were divided, they were mixed up, they were confused. Even the Jewish leaders, they were divided. And we'll see along the chapter down, but you can read that in your own time. I'm not going to continue any further. And we start to see that some had an inadequate view of Christ. They thought that he was just a prophet, like some religions that we know today. See, but a prophet didn't, don't have, doesn't have an authority that Jesus did. A prophet does not have an authority like what Jesus claimed. Only God in human flesh can make these claims. And with an incorrect view of Christ, we won't be satisfied with this living water. With an incorrect view of Christ, we won't truly understand who Christ is in our lives and what he's come to do. And, and the, the reality is that many show a form of godliness, but deny that transformational power of God in a life and in their life. And the other, the, other, the other people were people that had a correct view of Jesus. So a lot of people in the crowd thought, you know what? Christ, this guy, he must be the Messiah. And it, it said in a, in a scripture earlier that I skipped, it's like, well, no one will, can ever do as much as what Jesus has done, has done. He must be the Messiah. So these guys had the correct view of Christ. They had the correct view of the Messiah. But... In this case, it was more of a debate. It was more of a debate of who the Messiah was or who he wasn't. And they didn't want to have a personal commitment and a submission to Christ. It was more just, he must be the Messiah. And many Christians are like that too. Many absolutely believe that Jesus is Lord 
and Jesus is Savior, but many do not commit their whole heart and mind to Him. And the reality is that believing intellectually without obedience and submission to Christ is completely useless. And it's not what Christianity is all about. And then some denied Christ uh, in the next uh, group of people. Some people completely denied him. And they got caught up in his origins. Where is he from? Is he from Galilee? He can't be from Galilee. Christ doesn't come from Galilee. But if they really wanted to believe, they would have seen, they would have looked at Micah 5.2 and see that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. If they really wanted to believe, they would have gone to Isaiah 9 and see that the Messiah will come from Galilee, born in Bethlehem, come from Galilee. That's exactly what Jesus was and where he was and, and where he was born and where he came from. But it was just another excuse to not follow Christ. It was just another excuse. They didn't want to believe. It was inconvenient to believe. They feared what other people think. They didn't want to feel uncomfortable. They didn't want to unlearn what they already knew and relearn what they, what, what Christ is teaching. And that, that stopped me personally for many years. I'm like, well, I know Jesus. I grew up in a, in a very traditional church and I grew up learning about Jesus. So I used to walk into the old church and, and freak out at this big cross staring at me with a dead man. I used to, Go, whoa, uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be like that guy, so I, I'm going to surrender. I had no idea, but I, I grew up knowing. I grew up knowing of Christ. I grew up, but when I became born again, I started to realize that there was a lot of unlearning to do. There was a lot of unlearning. There was a lot of traditional things in my mind that I had grown up with. Some biblical, no, not really biblical. Some from the uh, the denomination, some from my parents, some mixed views, some from Europe, some from this year. There's all these different ideas and thoughts that were of Christ and I thought was Christ. But as I wanted to understand about Christ, I had to become uncomfortable to learn and to relearn and to re-understand and to want to apply myself and humble my heart and go, you know what? I don't care what I've learned. It's not connecting me to Christ. It's not connecting me to a personal relationship to Christ. If I want to truly be changed, if I want to truly be transformed by the salvation and that power of Christ in my heart, I need to learn. I need to understand the truth. And that's the crossroads that a lot of people get to. Do you really want to learn? Do you really want to know Christ? the true Christ of the Bible? Or are you happy to just know about Him? Are you happy to just get a little bit here, a little bit from there, a little bit of YouTube, a couple of podcasts, and I'm good? Are you happy with that? Is that really transforming us? It didn't transform me. I had to go and find, find Christ and learn. There's a lot of things that we need to unlearn and relearn. And a lot of these people, they didn't want to learn. And in fact, a lot of them, when they understood, they didn't want to face their sins. And us as Christians sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, when you start to learn about Christ, when you start to connect and want a personal relationship with Him, things start getting exposed in your heart. Things start popping up going, oh, man, I... That darkness, that, that, that sin, 
I've got to let that go. And we get to all these crossroads in our lives, don't we? Where we've got to decide, am I going to follow Christ with my whole heart or am I okay where I am right now? And that's the decision we've all got to make. These guys in particular, they rejected Christ. So I come back to the question for all of us this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Good question. Is he a good teacher? Is he a good man? Is he a prophet? Is he the Christ we confess but don't really practice in action? Is Jesus just there to meet all of your needs like he did in Galilee with the brothers? How do you view Jesus? How do you view him? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he God himself? That's how we view Jesus. Jesus is the very source of life. He is the one that can see every thought, every intention, every motive of our heart. Jesus is the one that despite knowing all of our shortcomings, despite knowing all of our human weaknesses and many more to come, he chose to love us. He chose to forgive us. He chose to have mercy on us. Jesus is the one that took away our sins and made a way for us to personally connect with God. He made a way for us to face the truth in our hearts, face the truth of our lives against the Word of God with no guilt, no condemnation. Jesus made a way for our eternal salvation and our eternal transformation. He gives us the power to transform us into a new creation with a new perspective of life. We choose. He gives us the power to choose to freely submit to Him and be obedient to Him. And I pray that we're a church that believes the full light of His truth so that we can be transformed by the inside or from the inside out and show that fruit of the Spirit and be true Christ disciples, not just followers. Amen? Can I invite the band up, please? And let's bow our heads this morning as we pray and reflect. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. We thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We thank you that you've um, given me the strength to communicate your word. We thank you the hearts were open to receive your word. We thank you, Jesus, for the power of your salvation. We thank you, God, for the power that the Holy Spirit has given us to choose to believe and choose to obey and choose to repent. Jesus, we believe. We, your church, we believe. We believe in your salvation. We believe that we can repent of our ways. We believe that we can connect with you personally. We thank you, Father. We thank you, God. And like Paul the Apostle prayed after 25 years of his conversion, we pray 
that we may know you more and more each day. More and more each day. No matter how many years we've been a Christian, one year, 25 years like Paul, we still pray that we know you more and more. Jesus, we need you. We need you. Your wisdom, your understanding, your love, your forgiveness, your mercy every single day. We thank you, Father, that we become quicker to trust your word in our daily lives. That we become quicker to trust you even when things aren't going right. We thank you, God, that we become quicker to submit every thought, every word of ours, and every action to you. And we bow down to you, Jesus, as our Lord and as our Savior. And we thank you that we respond as believers in every point of our lives, at every crossroad of our lives, every time you enlighten us of sin every time we are confronted with sin every time we are confronted with our own darkness or darkness around us every time we need to make a decision we pray for strength we pray Holy Spirit that you will guide us into all truth and you will strengthen us to make the right decision to follow you we thank you Father Holy Spirit have your way this morning we open our heart to you right now, Lord. Speak to us even right now where we are. What areas in our lives? Is there any sin in our life that we need to repent of? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you'll lead us to Jesus. We thank you, God, for all that you've done and all that you are. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name.